0: Mac Power Users, episode 366, catching up with Brett Terpstra. Welcome back to another episode of the Mac Power Users podcast. I'm Katie Floyd, along with my co-host, David Sparks. How are you, David?
1: I'm doing great, Katie Floyd. Happy to be here today on a sunny day in California talking to my pal, Brett Terpstra.
0: Brett, we realized it's been a long time since you've been on Mac Power Users. I don't know how we've allowed that oversight to occur, but it's high time we corrected it.
2: You know what's interesting? I So I get letters every day, every day, at least three or four from people that are that have a question or they just want to say thanks. And so many of them start with, hey, I first heard about you on MPU.
0: Oh, we're sorry <laughs> about that.
2: You you are the no it's it's amazing so many people have discovered me through the episode what's it been years
1: yeah, well you know how like on um, Saturday Night Live just randomly Steve Martin shows up every once in a while <laughs> you, yeah. you're like the Steve Martin of the Mac power users. <laughs> Wow. It's, it's even like your your name comes up on completely unrelated shows where people are like, oh, yeah, I use this thing I got from Brett Terpstra. And then we always say drink at the time because it's kind of a running joke on the show that your name does come up at least about once a month.
2: I am told that. Yes. Yes.
0: So the first <laughs> reference I can find to it is episode 167, which seems longer than I thought. So maybe there's an earlier one, but episode 167, December 9th, 2013. Long overdue, Katie and David sit down with mad scientist himself, Brett Terpstra. Wow. That appears to be the first one.
1: Yeah, we we met at Macworld because I was always a fan of the stuff you were making. And I was at this, I think it was the smile party at WWDC one, or no, it was Macworld one year. And there was this goofy guy sitting next to me, and he was kind of a nerd. I'm like, oh yeah, you gotta use NVAlt. That's the one. NVAlt is the app, right? And the guy's like, oh yeah, I made it. <laughs>
2: <laughs> really? So th- that's how people see me. The goofy guy sitting next to David Sparks. No, that's how no, I that's see how David you. David
0: Sparks see you. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair, but you got to remember that David is the goofier guy. In yeah,
1: that situation. I always am the. I mean,
0: so if you take the picture,
1: I'm the least common denominator of goofiness in any room I walk into.
2: I yeah, I think that's valid. Yeah, I
1: mean, in a good way. There we go. I mean that. I'll I mean it. that lovingly. I'll take it. I'll take it. Well, it has been too long, Brett, since we've had you on the show. So, and we've got a bunch of stuff to talk about today. But, but first, I just thought we'd just check in. What kind of gear are you using? I mean, what what kind of computers are you driving these days
2: well so i i think a year ago i just got a uh the 15 inch retina macbook pro um and that i have not upgraded since then i i don't know i i haven't been as been upgrading my main machines as often i run that in a couple of minis as home servers and testing machines um and then that's just hooked up to an old and now obsolete uh, 27-inch Thunderbolt monitor most of the time. Um, Apple got out of the, the display business, right?
1: Well, this that's, is all very frustrating. It, it seems like they did. I don't know. I mean, they, they, they certainly aren't selling anything with an Apple logo on it that's a display right now. In fact, they're telling you to buy somebody else's. But that doesn't mean that they won't show up with one in six months.
2: The old cinema displays were, you could buy the Dell version with the exact same display hardware from the same manufacturer. You could buy the Dell version for $200 instead of the $900 cinema display price. That's Um, always been
0: the case with Apple. Yeah. So
2: so maybe it's not such a big, yeah. Anyway. Okay. So I also, I have the uh, iPhone 7S Plus, 7 Plus. Yeah.
0: I I don't think you have the seven S. I think you just have the yeah. seven plus. Probably. No, yeah. be a sample I, from
2: you. Tim. I souped it up myself. <laughs> okay. I I put a, a turbo drive on it. Um, Catalytic converter. <laughs> yeah, uh, 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 four inch cat-back exhaust on the thing. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, really. Purrs. No, but yeah, the the seven plus has been, I think maybe my second favorite device in my life right now. Um, were you always the the
1: large size phone or is this the first? No. So
2: when the six plus came out, I had my wife get the six and I decided for the purpose of testing iOS apps, I was working on that. We should have both a six and a six plus in the house. And I thought I was going to hate it. I thought no phone should be that big. I like little phones, but once I had it, Every time I looked at someone else's like non-plus phone, I was unhappy. So now I can't live without the larger ones.
1: So so you it was love at first sight once you started using the plus size.
2: It it happened very quickly, yes. Yeah. I don't so, believe in anything at first sight. Um,
0: By the way, I have a question about the plus phone. I have to go back and correct. You were first on MPU episode 45, then on episode 81, then on episode 167. Before everybody writes in and corrects us, I just want to, I regret the error. (laughs) My sincere apologies. But I am one of these people who cannot imagine plus size phones. And and I carry a purse. And I just, it it seems, I, I, I just have this horrible aversion to it. What made you – how did that phone win you over?
2: Um, I guess just the readability of the screen. I got really used to – I mean, it, to me, it was a perfect hybrid of the iPad mini and my iPhone. I had always thought about getting an iPad mini because it just seemed ideal for media consumption, which was at that point really all I was using my iPad for consumption not creation that has changed but uh the I've, the iPhone plus sizes just i I've, i got used to seeing everything so big and so crisp and so clear and then with the 7 plus the the camera is it's insanely good i have a sony alpha that i haven't touched in a year because my iPhone has become the best camera I own. And to me, that's, it it was worth it to deal with a larger phone. Plus I'm like six feet tall. The, the jeans that I wear can easily accommodate a phone of that size. If I were smaller or I was prone to wearing skinny jeans, I could see it being an issue. Also like my complaint before I had one and I'd be like, well, dude, holding something that big up to your face, you just look stupid. However, I hardly ever make phone calls. So, and if I do, it's usually through like Bluetooth headphones. Uh, that's not really a consideration anymore.
1: Yeah, I, I feel like in some ways the Apple Watch and the AirPods make leaving your phone in your pocket a lot easier than it used to be. Um, you, they, even like when it vibrates, you just check your wrist and you see your notification. So that, that makes using a bigger phone a little more practical.
2: 100%. I will not talk on my watch. As much as I love Dick Tracy, I will not actually answer the phone on my watch i have tried it and i have found myself having to explain oh no i sound bad because i'm talking to my wrist right now
1: i will in a jam i was on a ladder fixing something and somebody called and i had to take the call and i was up on the ladder and i'm like all right well here it goes and it wasn't that bad i didn't think it was that bad but
2: oh it'll work in a pinch
1: yeah i won't deny you that
2: so here here's one of the big things that's changed for me is I, my iPad Air is, it's a few years old now. It's not a cutting edge iPad. And I definitely don't have the iPad Pro, not for lack of want. But I added a uh, a Logitech uh, K480 Bluetooth keyboard to it. And that keyboard is finally a like portable Bluetooth keyboard that I can actually comfortably type on. And with iOS 10, I've been able to actually begin I will I will write entire pieces on the iPad I will do research I will actually create I'll use it for music now um actually recording music I love GarageBand on the iPad um it has become a very much a content creation device for me now and I'm using my iPad way more than I used to
0: So the the K480 is um like a keyboard uh, that will work multiple devices, but it's got a slot at the top of it. It's kind of the standard Logitech keyboards, but it's got the slot that you can angle stuff into. So it will, it kind of serves as a stand.
2: Yeah, I really like the angle. It only has one angle. I used to prefer, Like I like when I'm writing, if I'm at a desk, I like the iPad to be laying almost flat, like just up at like a 15, 20 degree angle and typing on it. Cause I like looking down at it. Edit that's very ergonomic for me. But the angle of this one works universally really quite well. And you can then, like, yeah, you can flip a little dial that has three different Bluetooth connections on it. So I can flip from typing on my iPad to typing on my iPhone to typing on my
1: Apple TV. It's interesting to me because you pay for your shoes. One of the ways you pay for your shoes is by writing code, by writing apps. And the um and that's not you know really a great job for the iPad, but it sounds to me like other pieces of your life you've been able to do on the iPad. Yep,
2: coding is something I will always go back to my MacBook Pro for. Although I did I I had an Air for years, and I I gave up a, a Mac Pro, and got an Air, and I ran my life off that Air for a long time. It is still honestly to this day. My favorite computer of all time. The MacBook Air, second generation of it. I am very much looking forward to actually getting a new MacBook, which is very similar in profile, higher power. I don't know if I, I, I I'm loving the idea of a touch bar, but I just don't know if I love it enough to invest in the MacBook Pro again. I'll wait.
0: So when you say you're the MacBook, you mean the MacBook, the little, the little MacBook, the little one, little port thing. Yeah. The little adorable keyboard, tiny. Exactly. All right. Now, th- are those going to be powerful enough? Cause I know they've got the second generation and presumably they're coming out with a third soon. It, that's kind of on par with an iPad air at this, um, excuse me, a, a MacBook air at this point, isn't it? Or even a previous generation MacBook air.
2: And like I said, the previous generation MacBook Air I edited video. I recorded audio. I, and I'm most like compiling code. If you have a couple of Mac minis at home and you set up a distributed, like testing and build environment, it's fine. Uh, but even for like more intensive media applications, I always found the air sufficient, like to the sufficient to the point where I didn't think about what was slowing it down.
1: I would love to see, like, in an alternative universe where Apple keeps continuing to support the MacBook Air and, like, gives it the higher-end display and the modern ports and, and newer chips and just keeps it updating it along at the same time that they add these new fancy MacBook Pros and the ultra light MacBook. I would be very curious to see what the response to that would be.
2: People always freak out and cry about when Apple appears to have abandoned a line of computers. And every once in a while, they'll come back and offer a refresh that reheartens everybody. But the fact of the matter is, they're going to focus in the areas that will lead them to a brighter future. And I'm not saying that to to flatter Apple. It's clearly, it's a capitalist decision. But I've seen over time that if they abandon something, e.g. the Mac Pro... Uh, which the trash can one was way too high priced to be anything but a pro-level machine, but it didn't satisfy
1: pro users to that extent. At least most categories of pro users. So, you know, there's a narrow category it worked, but not everybody.
2: Right. And it and that doesn't that's not a profitable pursuit. Um so yeah, I I'm kind of I'll flow with it for now. There will probably come a day where Apple will alienate me and my needs to an extent that I am tempted to go elsewhere. But at this point, I'm the guy who really enjoys finding ways to make things do what I need them to do. I like the extra hurdle that is very uncommon in the wider uh, computer purchasing uh,
1: arena. But uh, <laughs> for now, it's working for me. Yeah, we we hear a lot from listeners about this. There, there's controversy over these new MacBook Pros. I think what really is happening is, you know, they called it the MacBook Air because it was the ultralight, but now the MacBook is the ultralight, <laughs> and it seems to me like as the MacBook Pros get thinner and lighter, and the MacBook gets more powerful, that just the 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 computer that is called the MacBook Air gets squeezed out.
2: Well, yeah, that the MacBook Air is dead. The MacBook is the replacement.
1: That's, I mean, that will be what moves forward. And you don't have to email me to tell me how much money it would cost and how ridiculous the pricing is. I understand that that's a legitimate argument, but uh, I went and spent some time on Windows recently just to play with those new Surface tablets and the Surface um, studios. And it's still Windows, man. <laughs> There's some pain involved with that.
0: Speaking of people who who like to, to fiddle and and have some alternative solutions w- what is this with the mac minis that you 're distributing builds over and you 've got little clusters created in your house i mean are w- what 's going on there let's
1: build a collective
2: <laughs> i have I have two mac minis uh both uh, 2014 well, 2014 and 2013 i think and um, the older one basically it essentially runs mavericks it 's my Uh, backing backup testing machine. If I'm building an application and people are complaining, uh, 10.9, it's doing this. And I don't want to deal with having a hundred virtual machines. So that one's kind of a dedicated testing machine, but then my newer one, uh, the 2014 one, it runs Plex. It runs my Indigo server for all my home automation it runs, uh, general media servers. It, it's connected to my Drobo, which now serves as like, um, uh, network attached storage. And, uh, it also is the, it's the machine that generates my website and then r syncs the generated static content to my server, which is actually also a Mac Mini through Mac Mini Colo out in Vegas. Um, so we're up to 3 now
1: just for the record.
2: <laughs> I think the Mac Mini is a beautiful underrated and under uh how would you say it? It it's been defeated. <laughs> Apple has basically with the latest version when they removed most of the ability to upgrade it. It's I think they killed it. I and I think they did it intentionally. I think they don't want to have a uh, eight to nine hundred dollar machine that people can do what they want with. Um, it I guess it kind of makes sense given the overall, even the developments in the o- the OS on both Mac and iOS. Um, that makes sense. I get their business plan, but up until the last Mac Mini release, I think the Mac Mini was an affordable, amazing way to run mac os which at the time i guess when when the the good point ended it was still os 10 (laughs) um branding late branding labels um yeah but i i love mac minis i buy them used i make them work their butts off it's it's an excellent home media server it's an excellent like extended network machine
1: and it's weird because they they really embraced it as a server like a home server with
2: right yeah you could buy it with server installed
1: and a 2 terabytes of storage and i mean it seemed like they were getting it and then the next release cycle they just dialed all that back in fact i think i think they took away the 4 core machine at that point now it's the best you can get is a 2 core
2: and and places like Mini i i've seen uh there's a new like mac pro colo where you can but obviously like the cost difference between a Mac mini and a Mac pro is insane you're talking like a 400% increase in the price the base price yeah that's disheartening there's a lot of disheartening
1: things going on right now we'll probably get to that this episode of the mac power users is brought to you by Fujitsu ScanSnap Head over to budurl.me SSMPU and get yours today. Katie and I are both so pleased to have Fujitsu as a sponsor of the Mac Power users. We both own them, we both bought them, and we both love them. I've talked a lot in past ad spots about the iX500. That's the full-size desktop scanner that I use every day. But some people need something a little smaller. And for you, I would recommend the S1300i. This ScanSnap is a bit more portable than the desktop version. We've heard from listeners that have this scan snap, and they keep it in a desk drawer, or when they travel, they put it in their luggage. Even though it's smaller, this scanner still packs a big wallop. It's got 12 pages per minute, and it's two-sided multi-page scanning, so you can scan both the front and the back of the document with one go. You can even power it over USB if you don't have a power cord nearby. I use one of these when I'm in trial. I keep it on the desk next to my laptop, and I can capture pages into my digital system as they show up. And of course, this scanner still comes with that great Fujitsu ScanSnap software. It'll automatically conduct optical character recognition on your documents. So if you've got Hazel running, it can start scanning, organizing, and filtering your documents right there. The Fujitsu ScanSnap software also works with many cloud services, allowing you to save to Dropbox, Evernote, Google Docs, and more. One trick a lot of users aren't aware of is the ability to set up multiple profiles. And if you already have a Fujitsu ScanSnap, you should check this out. You can set up different profiles. So if you want something quick and dirty or something super high quality, you can make those profiles and switch them at will. The bottom line is Fujitsu just gets it when it comes to scanning documents on the Mac, iPad, and iPhone. The ScanSnap scanners are awesome products and a great way for you to conquer all that paper on your desktop today. So head over to budurl. That's b u d u r l. dot me slash s s m p u, which stands for ScanSnap Mac Power Users. And no matter where you get your ScanSnap, let them know you heard about it here on the Mac Power Users. Thanks Fujitsu for sponsoring the show. Do you want to hear about
2: my other the other two pieces of my current setup that I love? Yes. Do you want to hear about my absolute favorite? Yes. My number one favorite piece of hardware right now is. And this is controversial, but the Apple TV, the current gen of the Apple TV is I have always loved the Apple TV. I've always loved it far above my Roku, even though the Roku had way more extensibility and way more channel options. When the current generation, what are we on four? I believe so. Yes. When the Apple TV four came out with the whole new TV OS and the app store, the TV app store that it became maybe my most i shouldn't say most crucial device it does not help my productivity in any way but it is the one that i enjoy most on a daily basis the siri remote the whole ecosystem of applications on it i love it hooked up to a 65 inch tv i it's it's the best it's my favorite place in the house
0: so have you always been an Apple TV fan or is this, uh, I mean, like, did you use them before or have you been using? Yeah, my, is it-
2: my first one was, uh, I think, Gen 1 or 2, the ones that still looked like uh, the old Airport Extremes, the big, they look like a Mac Mini almost. Um, and then I well, there had- Well, was, there was
0: only one that was like a flattened Mac Mini. That was the Gen 1. And then they were like the square hockey pucks.
2: Right. So I've had okay. all of those. And I had two versions of the square hockey pucks before the four- and yeah, no, I have always loved it. And then I made it onto the, uh, developer. Like they, I got my first Apple TV gen four for a dollar through the developer program. I made it through that, like sweepstakes they did, uh, not the first round, but then all of a sudden I got an email and they're like, Hey, we ran a second round and you're in. Um, so I got that and I, I did start working on some TVOS apps that I have not completed. Um, that seems to be a habit for me as of recently, but, um, but yeah, I, I have always been a fan of the Apple TV. I have always loved the potential of it, which leads me to the other part of my, my hardware lineup, my Apple watch. I was always a big fan of its potential. I had the series one and, um, I was a big fan of, I, I called it an aspirational, a brilliantly aspirational product because I could see everything that it could potentially do, but it wasn't really good at doing it. It, You would, you would see the dream, but then it would take forever to get to the dream because it was slow and annoying. And, uh, and I, I still wore it all the time because I had forgotten how handy it is to have the time on my wrist because I'd gotten so used to just pulling on my iPhone. I hadn't worn a watch in years, and it that became a habit and then because of that, I began really trying to make it work. but then, of course, it got water damaged and i, I your
0: apple watch got water damaged
2: my series one did yes
0: okay what well, well, just out of curiosity, what were you doing with it showering so despite despite what Tim says. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well well Hawkenberry was wearing his in the ocean. I mean it's Right. That it was Hawkenberry's article that I read about his like daily ocean
2: swims and and how it was doing fine. I was like, well, I don't have to worry about it in the shower then. But it did eventually I think it was actually more of a humidity than actual water contact thing. But the display fritzed out and so I I mourned it for a while, then I went ahead and got a series two. And that has changed everything. It is fast enough now. It is independent enough from the iPhone to be amazingly useful to me.
1: Yeah, I I got the second one too, and I really like it. And um, I don't know, it feels to me, I I think it was more of a software improvement than a hardware improvement, but.
2: It's No, it's definitely both.
0: So I have questions about how you're using these.
2: Katie, you always have questions, and I am anxious to hear them. Lots
0: of questions here. So it seems like for whatever reason, both the fourth gen Apple TV and the Apple Watch have have resonated with you. And my guess is that's because both versions of these platforms have really opened up to developers. And you are a developer and a tinkerer, my big one. What are you doing on these platforms? Hmm. (laughs) Or what are you thinking about in these platforms? If you can share.
2: On the Apple TV especially, you are absolutely right. Uh, Just the fact that suddenly it was something where... uh, The app store. Because before you were limited to exactly the apps that came with it. Uh, You had no choices. So then... Once they open it up and you got you got to see developers start doing really creative things with a TV, you know, people who had traditionally created iOS or Mac apps suddenly had this slightly different environment. This is a less interactive environment. And and the apps that have tried to be truly interactive outside of games have not, in my opinion, succeeded because it's it's not made for that. but. I, I'm not going to divulge the failed <laughs> TV app ideas I've had, but I, I will say that the, the intrigue is constantly there. While I'm using it, I'm constantly thinking, Oh, you know what you could do with this? Every time I find a new feature of a platform, my immediate instinct is to exploit it in some way. And I don't mean that in a like black hat hacker way. I just like, what can we make this do? Um, and then the Apple watch, I guess very much the same, but far more interactive. Uh, I am constantly disappointed with the limited, like apps will include an Apple watch version and it won't, it won't do anything useful and it's a selling point to me. Oh, and it wor- it it'll work with my Apple watch. So I'll have better communication with it. I'll be able to interact better. And when it doesn't, I find that, um, it's gimmicky at that point, but there are some really good run keeper alone on my Apple watch, uh, the metronome pro app for any musician where you can actually have your watch tap beats on your wrist while you're playing something. Uh, like that's truly useful stuff. Um, but yeah, uh, I have not yet conceived a brilliant apple watch idea not even failed but not even conceived yet but i am desperately hoping that one will hit me in the shower where amazingly with the series 2 i can now press and hold the button and send my idea to my brainstorming mind map on mindmeister
1: while i'm in the shower it's just like <laughs> the app after- drafts i mean it it no it was an idea that needed the platform of the iPhone to exist. I think there's apps like that for the watch and for the Apple TV too. Well,
2: works on the watch.
1: Yeah, it's a great app on the watch. But I mean, the the whole idea of it started on the phone, and and there's there's apps like that for I think the watch too. They just some of them haven't arrived yet. We were uh, on the on the subject of the Apple TV on New Year's Eve this year. We had a big family thing, and we found this app on the Apple TV called Fibbage. And it's basically a liar's game, you know, where they put something on TV and everybody makes up a silly lie, and everybody in the family votes. Boulder on it. Dash. It's it's a little more uh, edgy than that, but it's it was really fun, and it's a little goofy. You 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 do it through a website to put your entries in, but they show up on the Apple TV. And once you get everything working, it works really easily. We had like ten people in my family playing this game, and we were going crazy. And we almost missed the New Year. We were having so much fun with it, <laughs> and uh, it just did remind me that the Apple TV has got some legs if you'll if you'll try it.
2: Sketch Party TV, have you played this?
1: Yeah, it's an awesome game. <laughs> That's another one we. It played. is yeah.
2: my family. My family. The only reason they're all Mac users is because over the years they've gotten all my hand me downs, and I refuse to do support on Windows machines now. So, my whole family runs Macs. Very few of them have Apple TVs. Um, but when they are at my house, they will always request playing Sketch Party. And there are now, uh there are Cards Against Humanity clones available that I do enjoy as group games. I'm hoping that eventually Cards Against Humanity will come out with an Apple TV app.
1: Yeah, they um,
2: should, yeah. And then Space Team. Do you remember Space Team? Yes. Yes. There's Space Team for the Apple TV that is, with the right group of people, much like Cars Against Humanity, with the right group of people, it is a riot. And so the Apple TV has also become a major... It's a party attraction. Not just for playing music. It's... And television, obviously. But yeah, as far as party games go, I have a few controllers. uh, I got a few Bluetooth... I tried really hard to find a uh, an old Super Nintendo controllers like configuration that would work, but none of them were satisfactory. So I've ended up with these PlayStation controllers with like way too many buttons. I'm not a gamer. I don't know what to do with finger triggers and two D pads and uh, so, yeah, it's too many buttons, but I've made it work.
1: Well, space team one time uh we had some company visit while we were playing it and we were all just screaming at each other simultaneously <laughs> uh, but
2: screaming not angrily oh no, no like i found that's a game that leads to very vocal <laughs> vocal gameplay without outrage
1: yes Oh, it's fun. It's fun. Uh, so if you haven't played it before, it, it's uh, everybody's building a part on the spaceship. You got to keep it basically from from everybody dying or the ship crashing. And uh, but
2: it, no one knows who has what parts.
1: Yeah. And so you have to And the, the names of the parts are completely ridiculous, which is half the fun is screaming out these weird parts, you know, catalytic discombobulator. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, so in addition to playing party games, what else are you doing on your Apple TV?
2: Um wh- okay so Hulu and Netflix obviously I I cut cable a long time ago. I haven't had a cable subscription for 6 years, 7 years, I don't know. Um so Hulu and Netflix are where I get television. I have an HBO subscription. I have a CBS subscription that I really shouldn't be paying for anymore cuz it's not that useful. Um and then, like, FX Now, stuff like that, that I... Can I admit that I use illegal logins for that? If you want to. I I admit, like, I'm really annoyed that these apps won't let me just pay for that app. I don't want to spend 100 bucks a month to have a cable subscription so I can use their app on my Apple TV. That is horrendous. Um, also, uh, Viacom... Just pulled like all of the Comedy Central and 28 other network shows from Hulu. And now you have to go to the individual apps to watch those shows and they're not, uh, deep indexed in Siri yet. So I'm, I'm frustrated by that. That's a Viacom complaint. Mm. Uh, but where was I? <laughs> oh yeah. Um, the news apps that are available, writers news, especially, uh, I, no longer sit down to watch my news on whatever, you know, major network I can get writers direct news, which it, it's so much less biased and so much more informative to me. And I don't know if you've used the writers app, but it, it, you open it up and it asks you, do you have 10, 15 minutes or 30 minutes? And you can tell it, this is how much time I have. It will compress stories to give you relevant headlines in whatever amount of time you tell it, you have. And these are basically just straight AP newswire stories delivered with no commentary. And I enjoy it greatly.
0: Um, So is this the association of writers and writers program, the writer's news? I'm not sure. uh, I want to make sure I put a link in the show.
2: Reuters are oh, Reuters, EU. Reuters. R-E-U. Gotcha. Yeah.
0: yeah. That would have been it. I'm like, I don't think this is the right link, but okay.
2: <laughs> yeah. No Reuters news. Um, it, it's an, it, a bizarrely international collection of not professional reporters, but they, they deliver everything in a very journalistic style. And yeah, no, I love that app. I want, I want Nuzzle for the Apple TV. Yeah. That
1: would be nice. You know what
0: I'm looking for still is I am still mourning the loss of the Breaking News app. Um, That was an app that I really enjoyed because they had great push notifications. Um, Certain major media sites, (coughs) CNN, will send you push notifications for, quote unquote, breaking news. And it's like, this dog won (laughs) the dog show. And I'm like, (laughs) I'm I'm sorry.
2: Yes, I, I actually got that one.
0: I don't doubt that that's important news to certain people, but it may not meet my definition of breaking news. And I
2: feel like that meant like <laughs> 95% of nobody's definition of breaking news. Yes, exactly. That's about the time I ter- I deleted the app.
0: The, the thing that I loved about the breaking news app is that you could really specifically categorize it for I wanted Apple news. So it was like on WWDC day or Apple announcement day, you know, I was getting updates if I couldn't follow, you know, pretty regularly, but then not unless there was breaking Apple news, but then I was really getting breaking news on events that we're breaking. So.
2: Since I've stopped blogging for like news oriented tech blogs, where being Johnny on the spot was vital. I've kind of, I appreciate Nuzzle and Flipboard giving me like just daily email updates, and they actually do a an amazingly good job. And the Medium app as well, Uh like um, an amazingly good job of bringing to the top the stories I'm most interested in reading. And granted, it's up to me to choose to read outside of my bubble, but they those news sources once a day emailing me is a lot less pressure. Then I used to have 150 RSS feeds that had alerts on them, and it it was a huge load on my brain to constantly be getting these updates that seemed urgent, and I would have to read them to make the determination that this matters or it doesn't matter. I Nuzzle is amazing to me.
0: So are you no longer using RSS anymore?
2: I use RSS infrequently now. Uh, I use RSS the same way I use like I so pocket into paper. People will get I use um, read later in pinboard, but it's the same effect. Like I kind of just store articles, and when I'm ready to sit down and read, I'll load up my read later list in whatever you know incarnation you want. But yeah, RSS, I no longer have time to sit down and browse headlines from 150 different blogs.
1: All right. And just to catch the listeners up with a few things, Nuzzle is an app on your iPhone that looks at articles that your friends have linked on Twitter. I guess Facebook too. I don't use it for Facebook. Yeah, it actually,
2: it has a pretty broad and very effective algorithm for determining what might be of interest to you based on your collection of friends
1: in the cybersphere. And it does, it does a great job. And it does, when it gives you a notification, it's usually something I truly am interested in. Yeah. It's actually never annoyed me. The, uh, the other thing uh, you, neither of you mentioned that I think has made a lot of progress is Apple News. Uh, Apple News is a lot better than it was when it first launched.
2: And I always I always read Apple News accidentally when I <laughs> swipe over to like my today screen and I'll like see an article. I'm like, oh, what's what's going on there? And uh, yeah, it actually has been all
1: very relevant, very. um Intriguing. And there's a lot of publications supporting it now, and you can set notifications by those publications. So if CNN, you know, dog show isn't floating your boat, maybe another publication you read does. And, and you know, the, the, it's up to them to be professionals about it. I, the ironic thing is, as you were saying it to me, a uh, publication sent me a notification about one of the reporters who's covered 8,000 weddings. That was a notification on my screen while you were talking about it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Time to delete the app.
1: Yeah. Anyway. uh Okay. So we were just going to talk about what a, um what your new hardware is and just take five minutes on that. But um we're thirty eight minutes in.
0: <laughs> it happens.
2: <laughs> and I only have like six pieces of hardware. So and we didn't even get into the thousands of gadgets laying around my desk that <laughs> are mostly irrelevant to this conversation.
0: Well, are there any new ones that are particularly floating in your boat?
2: Um, I am enjoying the latest, uh, Apple Magic trackpad. I have the, the Magic keyboard as well. I hate it, but the Magic trackpad I have completely, I've been able to completely convert to. Really? Yeah. The, I don't know what it is because the key travel isn't that different on the Magic keyboard versus the older Apple aluminum Bluetooth, but I constantly am having to backspace because I'm hitting the wrong keys. The keypad, I don't have feeling. In my right hand, I don't have feeling on my thumb and first two fingers. So the arrow pad on the new keyboard where the left and right arrows are full height, I cannot feel where the divisions between the keys are. And for me as a primarily keyboard-based user, that is... It's impossible to work with.
1: Okay, I want you to spend a lot of time with a MacBook before you buy one. Then, because if you <laughs> if you don't like the Magic Track, the, you don't like the Magic yes. Keyboard, you may despise the new MacBook keyboard. Yes,
2: and that will absolutely be a consideration before purchasing. Two two
1: week return period. Just remember that. <laughs> okay, but we were starting about the the Magic Trackpad, but you are a fan of the Magic Trackpad.
2: Yeah, I Force it, Touch. And on, I don't know why they called it 3D touch on one and force touch on another, but the idea of that pressure sensitive click has, it has resonated with me. I I used to use the, uh, Logitech MX revolution, I think was my favorite.
0: Best mouse ever.
2: Yeah. It had like, it had buttons everywhere, but they were all intuitively placed on it. And I used it with, my G3, my G5, my first uh, MacBook Pro 17 inch. Like uh, That mouse was my favorite thing. And then I got to a point where my wrist would not let me use a mouse anymore. So I had to switch to trackballs and trackpads. And I got into trackpads and then better touch tool. Uh, the kind of, uh, it's, um, it's a Mac app that hacks. The input devices. Um, if you're not familiar with it, and you like and you like hacking, Better Touch Tool is like my number one recommendation.
1: Yeah, and I think we've talked about every time that you're on the show, and I probably talk about once a month too. But <laughs> but it's like the um, it's like the chocolate and the peanut butter. You know, you first you get the trackpad, but if you, when you add the peanut the uh the Better Touch Tool to it, it like makes it so much more powerful for for a power user.
2: And with, with the magic trackpad, like he immediately was able to update to handle force touch gestures, 3D touch gestures. And, um, and all, like all the new capabilities of the hardware were incorporated. So now I have at least 50% more <laughs> gestures programmed on my little, you know, eight inch by six inch, whatever it is trackpad. Um, I, I can do so many things and I can program them per app and the, yeah, I love the force touch. And uh, as a side note, he has also now introduced support for the touch bar.
1: Yeah. Touch bar,
2: <laughs> which I, I haven't had a chance to play with, but that, that was the seller for me on getting a new MacBook pro like the touch bar. It, I liked the idea, but once I realized it was hackable and I could make it do things, then i desperately wanted one
1: well i i do think that um the uh, there's a there's a relationship between people who are like musicians and who like better touch tool because it really is like playing an instrument but once you get that those chords under your fingers you can do a lot with that magic trackpad
2: yeah it becomes more than just a substitute for the keyboard it's an augmentation and that is awesome to me
0: I want to take a moment and thank our longtime sponsor for Mac Power users, and that is the Omni Group. For years, I have depended upon OmniFocus. OmniFocus is more than just a task management system. It is my life management system. It's available on the Mac, it's available on iOS, and it's even available on the Apple Watch. OmniFocus allows you to quickly and easily get all of your tasks into their system. It's powerful enough for you to use on its own and it syncs through the cloud so that you can use it on any of your other devices running OmniFocus. So whether you're iOS only and want to use it simply on your iPhone or your iPad, whether you want to use it on your Apple Watch or whether you want to use it on your Mac, they've got a platform for you when you are ready to seriously get things done. For me, half the battle is capturing all of my information and OmniFocus makes it so easy to capture all of the tasks when I think about it, because if I don't capture what I'm thinking about, it will likely be gone and I'll never remember it later. One of my favorite ways for capturing tasks is to use my voice. OmniFocus for iOS has the ability to integrate with the built-in reminders app on the operating system. That means that you can set up a dedicated OmniFocus reminders list or you can integrate with your existing default reminders list so you can capture tasks with Siri. You can also get tasks into OmniFocus by sending them through email a lot of times emails come in with lots of tasks to complete. OmniFocus has this great mail drop feature, which allows you to set up a specific dedicated email address that will sync directly to your OmniFocus inbox, which means if I get an email that has a slew of tasks in it, I can simply forward that email to my special OmniFocus email address. That email will show up in my inbox and I can process it with the rest of my OmniFocus tasks. And finally, OmniFocus has a quick entry shortcut, which in my case means I just hit option space, a little window pops up, whatever happens to be on my mind, I type it, it shows up on my OmniFocus inbox for me to process later. I can get whatever is bothering me out of my head, empty OmniFocus, move on with my life, and process my data later. You can find more information about OmniFocus over at theomnigroup.com. They have a free trial that you can go download and try now to see if OmniFocus is right for you. And all of their apps come with a money back guarantee. So go check it out, Omnigroup.com. And thanks to Omni for their continued support of Mac Power users.
1: Brett, you're one of my favorite friends to talk to about automation in general. I mean, you've come up with some great tools over the years. We'll talk about a few of them later in the show. Uh, But uh, I just want to kind of get your thoughts because it has been a while since you've been on about the the state of automation these days on some of these platforms. Uh, where do you see automation these days? I guess first on the Mac. <sighs> so
2: right now, as it stands right now, I am, I am satisfied. Uh, there have been changes over the last couple of years that have made things somewhat more difficult. But once you kind of work with the changes everything is still automatable the future is sketchy to me uh I, I think heavy on anyone in the industry's mind is the departure of sal i i actually don't know how to say his last name sagoyan i think is how it's sagoyan it. yeah uh, the departure of sal from apple which is you know i don't know the circumstances surrounding it but they just, they removed his post. They didn't remove him from the post. They removed his position in, I, I mean, this is the guy who created automator. This was the biggest proponent of automation tools, uh, from Apple a- as a corporate entity that we had. And they just removed his post. They removed the, the Apple automation job, which is to me, Potentially very scary for someone in my line of work. Um, That being said, everything's still there. Uh, They tried to switch from AppleScript to JavaScript for automation, and I've not found it friendly. (laughs) AppleScript wasn't friendly.
1: Yeah. But I find uh, JavaScript for automation less friendly. Uh, AppleScript was like your crazy neighbor. And JavaScript is like your your stern neighbor. <laughs>
2: JavaScript was the indecipherable guardian of the same things that AppleScript did, uh, but I mean, it, it offered way easier things like string handling and conversion and things that you can use JavaScript for. But the automation part was
1: killing me. Well, and I, I think my thought on that is that this is. I mean the ultimate play here is they want the automation tools to work on all devices not just the Mac and Apple script was never going to get them there and you're already seeing companies like OmniGroup and others start to develop javascript automation tools to um to work across platforms so you make a script it works on the Mac it works on the iPhone it works on the iPad
2: well and that's because that's because of security concerns uh python can be bundled in an iOS app and you can allow it to be a a script processor for you things like ruby things like apple script all of these you can't run on iOS you have to pass you know uh commands out to a server to process things and then get them back which is horribly inconvenient for anyone who wants to roll their own Uh, as anyone who uses things like editorial Pythonista, uh, I'm, I'm forgetting the scriptable automation apps on iOS workflow Workflow, Yes, absolutely. Workflow. Um, for anyone who uses these things, they know that that is, it's a handicap. Like these apps exist because they are workarounds for a lack of automation options and they're good ones within that realm, but uh, Apple has not provided a lot of hope in the area of automation across all platforms. It's clear that they want to bring in a language, you know, a a scripting language that is accessible across them, and JavaScript is ideal for that. Thus far, the execution has not been useful to me.
1: Yeah, I keep hoping we'll get an updated... To an iOS, one year we'll go to WWDC and they'll they'll kind of pull it all together. I mean, they've done this in the last few years. They did it with the file system last year. They did it with um, Swift a few years ago. But that, they need a complete automation solution. And and I don't think AppleScript is the future. I think it needs to be something better than that. And but it also needs to be accessible to people. And right. And
2: well, and both JSA and Swift have the the potential to be that, but both of them are flawed
1: at this point for that purpose. And I feel like Sal could have been the the champion of anything they come up with. (laughs) That's the part that scares me. And I don't have any inside knowledge, but I feel like, well, if they were going to switch to something else, they still need a guy like Sal to, to evangelize it. And one of the things he did really good in the company was he went around to the different teams and said, okay, hey, you guys need to add support for this in your apps. And if that, job doesn't exist anymore that might mean it doesn't get much uh, evangelizing anymore i i feel like
2: that's a pretty clear assumption like to to remove the, the really the primary and possibly only evangelist that they had and that was their job to remove that kind of says to me that
1: that's not a priority anymore yeah scary uh so we kind of i opened the question with what do you think of automation on the mac and it sounds like your thought is things are humming along and they're not breaking it. <laughs> so it's okay. iOS, uh, just, a, what's your feeling on iOS in general? iOS
2: 10. I love the automation has, it has only improved over time. I, I write JavaScript for one writer, which is my pre- preferred note taking app. um, I write JavaScript for text expander keyboard. I write JavaScript in, um, well, not necessarily workflow, but I build workflows in workflow. These things work. They are, they are fun ways to play with automation possibilities, but there are many, uh, blockades to really doing the things that I fell in love. I switched to Mac because of a Unix subsystem. I switched when OS X came out. I switched because of a Unix subsystem and because I could really dig under the surface and make it do things that were unexpected and, we'll say, delightful. And that is currently on iOS. I don't think is really... You can do things that make people say, oh, finally, I can do this on my iPhone like I did on my Mac. But it's not a uh, uh, an open territory for exploration for the nerds.
1: I, I feel like it's um, maybe what they're going to do for automation on iOS is not going to be as wide open. Well, I, I think you could almost expect that it's not going to be as wide open. You can be pretty sure. <laughs> yeah, but the, um, I do feel like if they could integrate something like Workflow into the operating system, you know, where it's it's Apple sourced, you know, if they Sherlocked workflow.
2: Or if they made Automator.
1: Exactly, it, Automator for iOS. They even have the name already. Um, and you could make something where people who don't necessarily know what JavaScript is and are never going to learn it, but they could build their own automation workflows uh, in the system. And it was a little bit broader and the pipes were a little bit, thick, you know, wider so you could get more information across apps. Uh, I feel like it would be different, not necessarily better, but it could be even more useful to some people that aren't going to learn JavaScript. So it, it seems to me like there's an opening there, and I hope that they are going to do something about it. For
2: that to happen on OS X, Mac OS, uh, Automator was was the difference. Prior to Automator, you had to write your scripts, you had to build the packages manually, and you had to you had to know more system level coding than most even power users would want to dive into and automator came out and suddenly you could drag and drop workflows and any app that provided integration you could build services you could build applications you could build all of this without writing a single line of code this was created by sal I know, Sal, Sal is really the anymore. only reason that that Automator <laughs> exists, as far as I know, and the the idea that that would ever come to iOS uh, seems dismal at best to me. I know, I know, man. I mean, the iPad Pro is. I am fascinated by the possibilities. It it well, and I could honestly, I could say the same thing about the Surface Pro. Like these are machines that. Could honestly replace the need for a desktop computer for a good seventy percent of users, but without that automation,
1: I feel like there it's seriously limited possibilities. Yeah, yeah. There's a whole thing going on in the internet. I've been writing about it lately too. It's just the the hold up with with the iPad isn't the hardware; it's the software and. Like I, I can't. I I ended up buying a laptop because I was in a meeting where somebody sent me twenty Excel files that I needed to quickly save to Dropbox, and I looked like an idiot because I was sitting there for a long time trying to do it on an iPad. And I, you know, I mean that those kinds of problems have to get solved. And yeah, things like oh, so so send to
2: that's that's Apple's solution for cross app communication, right? But Unless an app really uh, cr- creates a way to easily select multiple files and send to, and the the app on the other end is ready to receive a send to from multiple files, it's not it's not practical. Doing d- opening each one, saying send to Dropbox, save to Dropbox,
1: and then and then drilling through Dropbox with your finger down through eight levels of folders to get to where it belongs.
2: Whereas on a Mac, I would just write a quick. Automator service that I would right-click and say, okay, send this to this exact Dropbox folder. And I have that capability there. That is, that is, that feels like just um, a pinata where your productivity is the pinata and you're just beating against it with with workflow and with send to actions and trying to make it do what you know it should be able to do.
1: Well, from your lips to to Tim's ears. <laughs> <laughs> no more piñatas.
0: It seems like some iOS developers are are trying to work as as best they can, doing more automation things within the restrictions. Like I know, uh, I I think in the wasn't it in the Omni Group's kind of looking forward post that they said they're they're working with Sal to to bring some more automation features into their apps.
1: Yeah, well, that's the good news about Sal leaving Apple is that now he's a free agent out there. And the people that want to use his talents might be able to do something interesting.
2: Right. But those interesting things are highly dependent on the operating system they're running on. Which Sal
1: has no say on
2: anymore. And given, given the that iOS apps for you know 99% of users can only be installed through the App Store and apps have to go through review, Apple has absolute final say. You can't really be creative with that stuff. I do I do seriously hope that th- that external like third party developers are able to influence the need for automation. And and when I say automation I don't even mean just like power user uh high level craziness. I mean just being able to communicate clearly between two apps that have very integral purposes.
1: Like a, Another way to look at the question is, Is did Apple approve workflow as an experiment to see how users use it and how they would implement something like that in the operating system? Or did they approve it as throwing a bone to the nerds and say, OK, you got your workflow. That's good enough.
2: I have had I, that question has been in the back of my mind for a couple of years now. Does Apple even care about power users? Do they care about the nerds? We don't have the most money. Well, we might have the most money, but we're not the larger part of their business segment.
1: But if you want to, you know, they're they're selling the iPad as a laptop replacement. I feel like they're not, you know, they're writing a check they can't cash right now because there's limitations in the I, iPad software that um that for a lot of users are the are the problem.
2: Right, but for the users that don't listen to MPU and and just want things to work. Do you think they feel the same
1: way? Well, uh, just going back to the event that led me to spend more money at Apple to buy a laptop, so maybe they're smart. Um, I was in a room full of very expensive attorneys and accountants, and I was the only one even trying to do it on an iPad. So the other, the smart ones <laughs> just didn't bother. But maybe if the software was a little better, there would have been a few in that room.
2: See, that's fair. I don't actually talk to real people very often, so I don't know. I don't know what the actual... Apple consumer is like,
1: well, I I think that the justifiably we'll hear from folks after we publish this episode, say iPad as is, is working just fine for me. And that's great if you don't have a large volume of things you need to do very quickly. Um, I think it, in a lot of ways, the touch interface is better than the mouse and keyboard. And I think that there's a whole lot of new paradigms being built around this touch interface. So I, I totally get where you're coming from. But you know, you know. Once again, put yourself in a room with twenty Excel sheets just emailed to you. How are you going to save and and process those very quickly on an iOS device? You just can't.
2: If I can talk directly to the camera for a second, I would like to clarify my last statement to say that I do think David and Katie are real people.
0: I was <laughs> hoping so, but maybe it's just all been in my head. This. Time.
1: I don't know. All my, uh, all my, uh, my cybernetics are, are, um, you know, the, the, there's still a human soul in here somewhere.
2: <laughs> Ghost in the Shell is on Netflix, I think. You uh, could watch it on Siri. your Apple
1: TV. Yeah.
2: Random, random information. Sorry. Maybe it was on iTunes. That's the problem with Siri finding things for you on the Apple TV, is it's easy to forget where you found it when everything is cross-indexed. Also, the beautiful
1: thing about Siri has yeah. a good problem to have. <laughs> <laughs> this episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by 1Password. Solve your password and security problems today by going to onepasswordcom MPU in all caps to get 20% off. one is one of my favorite utilities for the Mac, iPhone, and iPad. It solves that problem with passwords that we all face. Specifically, it creates strong, unique passwords for you, and then it remembers them for you. So whenever you go to a website or a service, you can sign in with complete confidence. Because 1Password makes a different password for every site, if the bad guys get it in one place, they don't also get it everywhere else. For that reason alone, you should be using 1Password, but there's so much more you can do with this application. One of those additional uses is keeping track of all your email login data. You know how every time you reset your device or get a new one, you have to go and re-enable all your email accounts. There's a bunch of information you need, like what the server name is and what your password is. And if you're like me, you're probably doing this for more than just yourself. You may have friends, families, coworkers that also are relying on you to keep track of all this email information for them. It used to be a real pain in the neck, but not anymore because I do it all in one password. When you save a new email account to 1Password, it does more than just the account name and password for you. It also allows you to write down the type of server, the ports used, the type of security and authorization methods. If it's an SMTP server, it's got the information for that. If it's some other type, you can save that as well. They even have data fields for the email provider's name and website and local and toll-free phone numbers. So if things go sideways, you can get a hold of somebody and get some help you can keep all of that information right in 1Password. And don't forget, 1Password also allows you to add attachments. So when I give those super secret answers to the uh, secondary authorization methods, like what's the name of your first dog, I go ahead and take a screenshot of that and I drop it in the email account information in 1Password. Since I started tracking my email accounts in 1Password, I've never lost email account access. And every time my family or friends that I'm helping out with this stuff has a problem, I can fix it really quickly. Well, that's just one additional thing you can do with 1Password. There's a lot more, but I'll leave you with this thought. If these guys spent that much time figuring out how to track your email accounts, just think about what a great job they did with your passwords. To learn more, head over to onepasswordcom slash MPU and make the MPU in all caps to get 20% off. And thank you 1Password for sponsoring the show. Brett, you wrote a post uh that I thought was really well done uh earlier in January called uh Mac Apps for Nerds over at BrettTerpstra.com. Um I thought it'd be fun to just kind of talk about some of the apps that, on the Mac that you're excited about these days. Well, okay,
2: so I did three posts. Uh I did the Mac Apps for Nerds, Mac Apps for Creativity, and Mac App Mac Productivity Apps. But the Mac app for nerds is probably the most appropriate one.
1: Yeah, that's the one that got me. So that that tells you a lot about me, I guess.
2: I do these every year um, and different formats every year. But I always do my – these are my favorite apps from the last year. And they are my highest traffic – the most highest organic traffic posts of the year. They get linked and, and people – I, if I were going to go by affiliate sales on all posts during the year, the clicks I get from these posts are uh, their head and shoulders above everything else. Uh, people enjoy these roundups.
1: Yeah, well, there, there's a couple in here that are kind of old time standards for us. Butter touch tool is at the top of your list. We already talked about that. Right. One. So,
2: yeah, and I separate this year. I separate like I have each each one has the obvious list, quote unquote, and. These are the ones that I've been using for years. I have talked about incessantly uh, ad nauseum about uh, how they integrate into my workflow and everything. So I kind of each one starts with a list of very what I consider obvious. Uh, Anyone bothering to read the Mac apps for nerds,
1: they're already going to know about these. Well, I'm not sure because, like, a couple of them for our audience are very standard, you know, Launch Bar. We talk about all the time. Former sponsor, bartender 2. We love Hazel. You know that's almost next to Brett Terpstra in terms of drink worthiness <laughs> on our show. Yeah, uh, drop, Dr- zone, drop th- zone
0: three. We've talked about, but I don't know that we've we've covered much in depth.
1: So drop zone
2: is an app that it runs in your menu bar, and when you drag a file up to your menu bar, it pops up a very configurable palette of. We'll call them drop zones. They're like targets and you can, you can drop your file then on any of your preconfigured targets and have it do anything you want. And it's all based on Ruby scripts, which is great for me. I love Ruby. And so I can have, uh, I have one that will read the tags on whatever I drop on it and file it in my file system according to a tagging system. I have one that will, if they are images, it will s- put them into my Jekyll static blog image folder, uh, optimize them as, ne- as needed, and then copy a liquid tag, liquid formatted tag into my clipboard that I can then go into a post and just paste. So I get like a Jekyll style image tag out of it. Um, and that a lot, that accounts for some okay can i get nerdy no i mean you okay? are like
1: pushing all of my buttons now just don't stop that's just don't so stop.
2: i have a script called socializer that when i save an image to my desktop i can add a percent percent and then any combination of o h c and r and those let me then tell my scripts to okay i save this image it's a it's a 2x image if i type percent percent oh at the end of the file name hazel picks that up and it will uh create a 1x image from it it will optimize both versions and then replace the percent percent file on my desktop with the two resulting files and then the socializer script will pick that up further and make images formatted for twitter cards and facebook posts and uh general social media size formatting Based on parameters that I include in the file name, telling it like I want to crop this to upper left, upper right, lower, et cetera. Okay. And um, and and it'll create all of the the variations I need, and then the Jekyll image tag. Uh, my Jekyll scripts will actually figure out which one of those need to be in op- Open Graph meta tags for a post, so that when it's shared, it gets the right image on any given service. These are things that drop zone automates for me. I can take any file, drag it there, and then have my full full array of, of images created and the, the tag to include them all in my clipboard with one drop.
1: Okay, so I want us to just slow down for a minute. So that at first <laughs> it sounded like a service to me. You're just resizing and doing images, but now you're doing much more to them. You're so and that makes sense why it would go through a script. And so with, with drop zone. Uh, just to back up a little bit, not only can you do the crazy stuff Brett's doing, you can just have like a folder there and you can say, "I want anything I drag onto this folder gets moved into that folder or copied into that folder." Yeah,
2: and you can have applications like your most commonly used applications. These are all things you could do with services. These are things you could do with uh, launch bar, but it gives you a like an amazing palette of your most common needs. So when you grab a file and you want to do something with it, you can just automatically muscle memory, drag it up to that spot in the menu bar and drop it where it needs to go. It's also configurable through keyboard actions. So,
1: And if you're on a laptop with full screen, because I use Drop Drop Zone too. I've been using it for years. And if you're using full screen apps on a uh, laptop, you know, like you've got full screen keynote and you've got a bunch of images you want to drag into slides, you drop them on the drop bar, which is basically a holding area for, for files. Yes. And then when you switch to the full screen app, you can pull them off the drop zone into the app very easily, which is a nice way to navigate when you've got full screen apps open.
2: Even when you're in Finder, like one of my favorite things about some of the Finder replacements is they all have this drop bar idea, but
1: sure. It's like the shelf and uh, right. Exactly.
2: Yeah. In uh, path, path,
1: Pathfinder. What?
2: Yeah. Pathfinder. Yeah. Um, and Oh dude, we got to talk about the new, uh, um, why am I forgetting the name? We'll get back to that when I remember what I'm talking about. Okay. <laughs> it just came out. Version three just was officially released today of, oh my gosh. Anyway, well, I, I will remember that.
1: Um Put a tag in that one. Cause I have a, one more question. I want to, <laughs> before we go to the next step, because you, you talk, you just said something in passing that I really want to do. So we're going to go back. But
2: drop zone does make that universal. It, it. It makes it so that you can drag your files from anywhere, whether it's from Finder or another app and kind of create a collection of things that you want to move to a new folder or process in a similar manner. And just, it's a a simple holding. They're yoink and there, there are multiple utilities that do this drop zone. That is definitely an added benefit of. Forklift, Forklift. Oh, did they come out the new version of Forklift? Forklift 3 is out. I've been, I've been, Using it all day. I bought the upgrade immediately this morning.
1: Okay, we're going to get to that. Earlier, you said that you have a uh, drop zone script that will take a file that is tagged. Like if you put, I guess, electric bill in it, it will put it automatically into the electric bill file, right? Kind of. Okay.
2: So there, I'll, I'll send you a link. Um, I have this script called Tag Filer that uses a very specific naming system where I, so like a folder would like a a high level folder would be a context like writing or coding. I have one called file cabinet. That's kind of archival. And then those are tagged with equals like equal sign writing or equal sign coding. And those become context folders. And then folders within them tagged with at symbol name become actual like project folders. And then in my file tagging, I save everything to my desktop always. And then at the end of the day, I go through and I tag, here's the context and contexts are then tagged with pound sign, name of context and colon name of project. And colons can be nested. You can have like colon client name, colon images, colon advertising. And then that will get filed into a shallow folder hierarchy. If, uh, if a colon tag doesn't exist, it'll create a new folder and tag it with at that tag name. And so thus I can use tagging and all of these files are searchable by the tags I give them. But at the same time, I have an existing actual folder hierarchy so that should At any point, my files need to be read on a different operating system, or should I lose all my tagging due to some bizarre rsync failure? I still have everything sorted instead of one big pile of tagged files that without the tags mean nothing.
1: So I'm thinking about this as you're explaining it. Um, Much of this is possible with Hazel, but I'm not sure all of it is possible with Hazel.
2: Well, so, so what I just described... I have a hazel rule on my desktop and my downloads folder that any file ha- that contains a tag that starts with a hash sign or a you know pound symbol it will then trigger and read the rest of the tags and determine if it can be filed. So anything I tag on in downloads or desktop will automatically be filed if if it makes sense to the script. Okay. That is possible. So the reason I have a drop zone target for that is I can tag files anywhere else.
1: And just drop them in and run and drop them in. Yeah. Gotcha. Now, have you written this up?
2: Yes, I do actually have a post on my blog called automatic filing with Hazel and Mavericks tags because we used to call them Mavericks tags because Mavericks was the first operating system that had them. Now we just call them finder tags. Now we just call them tags.
1: Even though tags haven't really, it seems like they haven't, it was a promise that was never really fulfilled. Oh, by we were
2: teased. We were teased and I got really excited. And then I was let down. It just kind of like everything they teased is still there, but it's still just a tease.
0: Well, isn't that kind of typical? What, forgive me, what Apple does is they release a new feature they they do something that's OK or, or good enough or kind of minimal level of functionality. And maybe they improve it once and, and then that's it. That's all you get. it's It's fine, but it's not, you know, it never really gets reiterated on.
2: Right. And and sometimes those lead
1: to mainstay
2: features. Sometimes it feels like they were testing the waters.
1: Yeah. Like, does it take how many users are actually using tags? And then they'll decide how much effort they're going to put into it.
2: But why would users use tags if they don't translate to iOS? If they don't do that second part of actually making them sync, then it's completely useless to 90% of the people that they really want to be involved in a cross-platform ecosystem. So they defeated it by not ever taking the next step to bring it to iOS.
1: What's your... um? What's the way you're applying tags these days? I mean, you say at the end of the day, you go through everything on your desktop and tag it all.
2: I am highly spotlight dependent. I, all of my organization is done through spotlight. I don't, I never drill through folder hierarchies. Uh, Tagging allows me to create the associations. As I, like I said, I save everything to the desktop. I add the tags, my scripts automatically place it in the file system, but then I find them using the tags that I applied. And I have learned over the years how to apply tags that I will still remember a year later. There's actually an art to that. Um, It's very easy to forget the random tags you applied to something. So having a set of rules makes a difference. And I I had started writing a book on tagging, trying to make this useful to more people. And I gave up on that particular book because it really is something you have to want to an extent where there's really no way to tease someone into it. They have to already be looking for the solution before you can convince them there's a problem.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, the question is always is putting the time and effort required to apply the tags going to be paid up. On the back end.
2: Right. And I have done a ton of work on automating the application of tags on making applying new tags extremely easy. Uh, my system is to me very usable, but it is a really hard sell to anyone who is used to just creating. This is my 2012 folder. This is my tax folder. This is my expense folder. This is my expenses from this particular company folder. And just used to drilling through those, it's hard to convince them that there's a better way. And and Apple didn't support tagging to the extent where it was obvious. It takes work.
1: It's been too long and we should have you back to just do a show on tagging because there's a lot to cover there. But the, um, just if someone at home is listening and thinking, you know what, maybe it's time to give it a try, uh, quickly, what are some of the ways you are, are automating an application of tags? Like I was saying, when you've got that pile of files on your desktop at the end of the day, how are you getting tags into them as quickly as possible?
2: Well, the first trick, there, there used to be an app called Tags App, and it was amazing. I loved it. It worked with Open Meta Tags. And we'll leave it at that. I actually, I acquired the code to it. I meant to update it, but then it got, uh, it was old enough that it would have required so much rewriting that it wasn't uh, financially reasonable for me to do it. Um, That being said, uh, in Mavericks and Later, there is, if you right-click on a file, you can choose the tags from the uh, the contextual menu, and you can add them. You can also add a keyboard shortcut. So on my com- my computer, hitting Command uh, semicolon opens up the tagging window for all selected files, and I can add and modify tags to all selected files with a keyboard shortcut. That works well. Um, and then as far as automating, all of those tags are available as a Spotlight property, KMD user item keywords, I, I'm forgetting offhand, but these are all things that from scripts or from spotlight or from any kind of predicate search, uh, who to, who to spot, for example, can make extensive use of tagging combinations. So then the, I mean, those tags are then they're attached to the file in the file system. You can read them from the command line. You can read them from spotlight. You can read them from any app. That lets you generate a search. So like in Spotlight, then you can type tag colon and then the name of the tag and it will show you all the files and you can do Boolean searches with Spotlight saying if it's tagged with this and with this, but not with this, show me this file list. And on Sierra with, with, um, with Siri, you can actually do those searches vocally and then save them to your today. Uh notifications panel and actually see like a constantly updated list of files that match these criteria side note that's yeah you know that's clever <laughs> but yeah but yeah, like it's not hard to start tagging, but if you have a a no tag system to make a tag system actually useful does there's an investment there? I've been tagging for a decade now, so
1: yeah and another way I would add though, if you're curious about this is. Hazel, you know, if you've got Hazel automatically filing documents for you, um, Hazel can apply tags, too. So uh, if you've got a a rule in Hazel that says, look for the word, you know, electric company and monthly invoice and then file it in my monthly invoice folder for uh, my electric company, there's no reason why you can't have that rule additionally apply those tags for you, whatever they are that you want related to that type of document. So you you get it for free. If you're running Hazel rules now, there's no reason not to really add some tagging rules to it. And, um, and then the tags start getting applied automatically. And then you really get the, you start to see the logic of it because there is no upfront cost or very little.
2: Yeah. Um, once you can automate your tagging system and at the very least, you can have your tagging system notify you, hey, how should I, how should I classify this file? Yeah, then things get easier, but you kind of have to have a a base to start with, I think.
1: Well, we're going to put in the show notes, the automatic filing with Hazel and Mavericks tags that uh, you put in there. And let us know, gang, if you're interested in this, we'll have Brett back and, and really hit this one hard because it, it, it would be a whole show if we really wanted to do it right.
0: This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you by Squarespace. Enter offer code MPU at checkout to get 10% off your first purchase. Make your next move with Squarespace. Squarespace lets you easily create a website for your next idea with a unique domain, award-winning templates, and more. Maybe you want to create a website. Maybe you want to create a portfolio. Maybe you want to create a blog. Squarespace is an all-in-one platform that lets you do just that. There's nothing to install, no patches to worry about, no upgrades needed. You don't have to worry about any of that stuff. Squarespace has just got you covered. They have award winning 24 7 customer support if you need any help. They let you quickly and easily grab a unique domain name, and you have access to all of those award winning templates that are beautifully designed for you to show off your great ideas. I've been using Squarespace to host my own website for years, and when I needed a website for my business, I chose Squarespace. I know several people in my industry who are spending hundreds of dollars a month on websites that can't even hold a candle to my Squarespace website. And it's just ridiculous. Squarespace plans start at just $12 a month, but you can start a trial with no credit card by going to squarespace.com. When you decide to sign up, use offer code MPU to get 10% off your first purchase and show your support for Mac Power users. Thanks Squarespace for your support. Squarespace, make your next move, make your next website. So, Brett, one of the big changes since we talked last time, because it's been a while, is uh, you are now solo. You have uh, quit the day job. You are totally independent. And before we let you go, I just wanted to kind of check in and see how that's going for you.
2: <sighs> yeah, it, it, it's been a long journey. What I can't remember. What year did I leave AOL? 2013?
1: 2013? 15? I don't. Remember. It's. It was. It was before I left my firm. I know that. Yeah, it has been a while. And that was two years ago. Yeah,
2: and uh, it it has had its ups and downs. Um, I don't know if anyone's followed my personal story, but I had a year, uh, spanning late 2015 into late 2016 that, uh, my whole psychiatric situation got messed up. I was left without appropriate treatment for things like a d h d and my work suffered greatly, and that when you're independent <laughs> not being able to work can be very detrimental yeah uh so that got that got pretty ugly for me. It led to a lot of life changes it led to a lot of um health changes, not entirely bad. those changes weren't but Uh, my, you know, financial stability suffered greatly. So I would say that is a serious downside to being independent. I really have no fallback, but overall, I, I can't imagine at this point going back to a day job, even though prior to leaving, I, I was working remotely for, you know, 10 years. I don't remember the last time I actually went to an office on a regular basis but uh I have very much enjoyed just not having a boss at all.
1: Well, you, you do and you don't. When you're on your own, your boss is everybody that you work for still. It's just my your bo- clients. My
2: boss is the free market.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I, I stopped I stopped taking freelance clients because it was more profitable and easier for me to build things to sell. Uh, and to I was happier working customer support than dealing with clients so that I am like supremely independent at this point. I don't report to anyone other than, uh, the market. (laughs) If things are selling, I am fine. And, and, and I do, I like the fact that with being an app developer, being someone who makes some part of their living from blogging and, uh, affiliate links and things like that, if i have a month like or or 6 months where everything crumbles everything goes to hell i still get a paycheck like i get a, a, enough of a paycheck that i can't qualify for any kind of assistance so <laughs> but it's nice to know that even when i can't do anything i can still survive
1: i i um when i first quit my my job of 20 some years uh Literally within 48 hours, I came down with significant kidney stones. I mean, I was, remember that. It was like before I would get diagnosed. I'm like, great, I quit my job. Now I have cancer. I'm going to die, <laughs> <laughs> and the um, uh, and and it was really tough trying to get a new, basically a solo law practice off the ground. One year in, like, just dreadful pain for several months. And I know I told my wife at the time, if it wasn't for the uh, the, the income I make off the books and the videos I sell, uh, those would have been some really hard months.
2: Yeah, uh, multiple revenue streams. That that would be the first advice I'd give to anyone who wants to be independent. Have multiple revenue streams and some that are passive revenue streams that will just keep providing for you.
1: It, has it changed the way you're working? Like, Because um, I know you said you were working at home before, but I mean, you've probably got to pick up a whole bunch of new tools and apps to kind of run uh, as a solo business.
2: So what worked for me was when I was um, a remote worker, it gave me the flexibility that I had already started doing the things that I'm doing now in my, we'll call it off time. Like basically when you're a remote worker, you show up for the standup meetings and then you can kind of schedule your day around what you're most able to do at any given time. And if my brain was on, you know, automating something, I could take Half an hour to an hour, and automate it. Then go back to my my daily work. And so I had already learned how to uh, how to work at home and be productive. I had learned how to uh, like grid out my day, and and get things done. And then by removing the day job portion of that, I already had the skills going into it. To make that work. I remember when I first started working remotely, the idea of, (laughs) of time management was, um, a foreign concept. The idea that, wow, I, no one's watching me. I'm on my own. I can set up an IRC bot to cover, you know, the daily (laughs) conversations and I can, you know, I can be productive except for at that point. With no reins on me at all, I found myself rather unproductive and uh I would get more hits on my blog than I would accolades from my team. But 10 years of doing that, you learn, you learn how to make it work. So that was kind of crucial in me being able to jump into being independent and already having the skill set and the tool set to make that work.
0: You mentioned that right now you you don't take any freelance jobs, and um, all of the things that you receive income from, or things that you build for you and, and for your audience. So, if tell us a little bit about because um, I know it's been a while, uh, some of the things you've got out there, and if you want to share some of the things that are in the pipeline, you certainly you can. I know people would love to see them. But um, how can people support Brett Terpstra with with and what are some of the great work you're working on?
2: Sure thing. Uh, so my, my current primary source of income is marked to, uh, the Markdown preview app. And it has, since we've last talked expanded, probably fourfold in functionality. And I, that it's truly a labor of love and I really enjoy working on it. And the more I add to it, the, the more, uh, the more it makes me, which is very rewarding. Um, It's currently on the front page of the app store under, I think they're featuring like time-saving tools or something like that. And it's right there. And so that's been, you know, great. Um, Then I have my blog as well as overtired and systematic, my two podcasts and those, the affiliate links from those, they both have large enough audiences that I can just talk about the things I love right now. And the clicks that go through that help me pay my rent and, uh, and don't cost my listeners anything. So that I affiliate links, I think are the, uh, the best. I, I think for a lot of people, once you have a large enough voice, they're better than a Patreon. Um, but then, yeah. And then I have subscriptions, people who pay to support me through my blog or my podcasts. And don't get anything special in return. I have yet to provide like a private newsletter or any kind of paywall. Uh, but just by being the very generous soul that I am and constantly posting what I learn, um, I, I get people who appreciate that enough to to pay a recurring, you know, three to six dollar donation a month. And I, I guess you're rewarded in karma. I don't know how that works for people, but I greatly appreciate that. I also, in the pipeline, my big, my fingers crossed, like big success is going to be um a replacement for EnvyAlt that David Halter and I are working on called Bitwriter. And I really, it should have been out before Bear, which is an amazing app. and <laughs> I think stole some potential limelight from Bitwriter. Uh, no, absolutely no hard feelings there. It is really good. Um, but BitWriter is going to be the commercial version of EnvyAlt, which was written based on uh, notational velocity and GPL3 code that no matter how far we diverge the code set, we could never ethically charge money for. So the almost half a quarter, quarter million users of EnvyAlt uh will hopefully become paying customers of pit rider and i'll be rich beyond my wildest
1: dreams you can re- we can do the next show from your uh from your uh, island retreat right <laughs> yes yeah,
2: so. uh, i'll i'll be i'll be windsurfing with richard branson and you can try to like get a hold of me on my you know cell phone or whatever okay. but um but yeah and then i i have some books i'm working on uh right now, the one that's furthest along is the children's book I've been talking about for, I think five years now. I'm actually going to release it as an app. I gave up on trying to make what I needed to happen work in iBooks. And, am now I'm going to release it as an app for iPad and Apple TV. And it'll be a fully interactive touch-based, um, story with gorgeous, uh, graphics and illustration that are already finished it's the book is done i just yeah i gotta get that all together and then i i was thinking about doing another 60 tips too
1: yeah we we talked about it on your podcast when was on <laughs> recently we're gonna
2: i feel like it's already out there we might as well might talk as well. about it
1: <laughs> brett and i several years ago did a book together called 60 mac tips and we figured out another 60 so we're gonna do that we haven't exactly figured out how it's gonna be distributed and everything yet we're still figuring that out but that is in the works. But, but, on the, um, on the, I'm really excited about your, your notes app and, and you're right. There's Bear. there's several interesting notes app we're hearing from a lot of listeners that are wanting us to kind of weigh in on this stuff. We're going to do a show, uh, kind of comparing a lot of this new generation of notes apps showing up. And, uh, I have, uh, got Brett to commit that he's going to get this thing done because we want to include your app when we get to that show. So
0: yeah, we're waiting for you, Brett. Come on.
1: We are. I know are I, that, that
2: doubles my urgency on the whole matter.
0: Because then people can say, I heard about your notes app on Mac Power users.
1: You will get some some emails bugging you about that. (laughs) I'm just giving you a warning. Uh, The other thing Brett's doing right now that I think is just completely awesome is he he does shirts occasionally. He makes really cool designs. Brett's a designer as well as a writer and a coder. And uh, he has one. It's a simple idea, but it's bold. The word bold written in Markdown on a shirt. And I am ordering one as we speak. And you should too. We'll put the link in the show notes. It's a great way
2: to make friends.
1: It's a great idea. Like, if I walk up to somebody and I see them wearing a shirt that has bold written in Markdown, I'm like, this is this is my people right here.
2: <laughs> and then the people who don't understand, you get to strike up conversations with and immediately determine if they're worth being friends with by how quickly they zone out as you explain <laughs> the origins of Markdown to them.
1: Or I just teach them Markdown. You want to write bold in Markdown? Just look at my shirt. You're good. <laughs>
2: I'm a walking reference.
1: There you go. There you go. You should, you know, maybe we'll have next year, we'll have the italics version.
0: <laughs> Brett, it was awesome to catch up with you. We will have links in the show notes to most of what we talked about today, as, as well as links to where people can find your other projects, including your podcast, your blog, uh, your amazing bold T-shirt and all kinds of other things. Um, and uh, what about are you on the Twitters anymore?
2: I am TT Scoff everywhere.
0: All right. We will put that in the show notes. Thank you so much for joining us. It's been too long. David, maybe we should uh maybe we should put that note show for like episode four hundred and make Brett commit to finishing it by then. We're at three sixty six now, so that gives him a little time.
1: Yeah. I can do that. All right. Yeah. <laughs>
0: All right. Well it'll yeah.
1: happen soon. And and let us know what you think about tagging. I'm I think um you've motivated me to rewrite a bunch of my Hazel scripts to just add tags and experiment yeah, for another month or two and just see and then maybe we'll have you back and talk about it after I've spent some time with my in and up to my elbows excellent
0: thank you to our sponsors today those would be Fujitsu the Omni Group 1Password and Squarespace and if you have comments about the show if you want to follow up you can certainly do that on our amazing Facebook group we have well over 2,000 people on that group um, it's not overwhelming it's actually a great group with some great conversations started there so feel free to join in on the conversation Probably the best place to get feedback on your comments is on the Facebook group now. But if you want to share your comments with us, you can send those to feedback at macpowerusers.com. Or we're also on Twitter. David is at MacSparky. I'm at Katie Floyd, and the show is at MacPowerusers.
1: We'll see you all next week.